the Jewish people have a keen sense of the holiness of God in the true definition of the word, that he is set apart. Holy means to be set apart. Uh, I think a great example of that is in the ancient temple in Jerusalem, the, the veil that separates the holy place from the holy of holies. The holy place was where you found the menorah and the altar of incense. And the holy of holies was the, the place for the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God on earth, where the Ark of the Covenant was placed. Um, there was a veil that separated it, and it wasn't just a, a curtain in the sense that something you'd cover your windows with. It was a kind of complicated array of drapes that was three feet thick. Uh, a very clear delineation separating God from us. And I don't think... Uh, you don't get the idea that they were afraid or anything of God. But we'll talk a little bit more about that. There was only one day in which anyone entered the Holy of Holies. Um, and only one person on that day. The Feast of Yom Kippur, uh, the Day of Atonement, the holiest day in the Jewish calendar, uh, was the day when the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies uh, and place incense on the seat of the uh, Ark of the Covenant, and then sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice, the sacrifice that represented uh, the sins of all of the Jewish people for that entire year, um, offering that to God that he could forgive us for our sins. And I'm sure this experience for the high priest was kind of life-altering experience of the power of God. You get to go into the Holy of Holies. Um, But it was also terrifying And that's because Israel had seen the power of God. He had seen the power of God in in the Exodus. Uh, God had taken them out of slavery with his powerful arm. And he had made them his own. And so they knew his power. And they they didn't have the idea that God was kind of a bloodthirsty, uh, savage God as some of the pagan gods. But they did have a righteous fear of him. A sense of awe. Uh, that, that God is transcendent. He's other. He's not one of us. Uh, the, you see the psalmist kind of grappling with, kind of naming this God. Uh, that he's the God of gods. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of righteousness. He is a high tower. Luke actually begins his gospel with a description of this feast. Zechariah enters the Holy of Holies on the feast of Yom Kippur uh, to sprinkle blood upon the Ark of the Covenant, for, as an offering of atonement for the people. And those outside uh, the Holy of Holies notice that he's delayed. He has something very specific to do when he goes in there. He's not supposed to do any more than that. He's not supposed to do any less than that. But he's delayed, and so a little bit of fear comes upon them. They kind of wonder what's happening. Uh, there's a, a Jewish mystical text called the Zohar, Uh, from the 13th century that said that when the priest would go into the Holy of Holies, they would tie a chain around his ankle so that when he goes in there, in case God strikes him down, they can pull him on out because no one's allowed to go in there and get him. So kind of wonder whether he's delayed a little bit. Maybe they're giving a little tug, seeing if he's okay in there. Um, He wasn't dead. Zachariah came out. But he was mute. His voice had been taken away from him. And it wasn't until the naming of his child, John, 
that he regained his voice. And then he regains his voice and praises the Lord. And those around him wonder, what then will this child be? What will become of John? Well, this brings us to our gospel today. John the Baptist appears in the wilderness. What happened between that day when he was named John, kind of that wonderful experience, and this day when he appears in the desert? We don't really know what became of John in the meantime. Perhaps he lived out in the desert with the Essene community, those who had left everything uh, to praise the Lord in the wilderness. Perhaps, like Elijah before him, he had lived as a hermit in a cave somewhere uh, for most of his life. Regardless, he appears on the scene dressed in a camel hair jacket and a, a leather girdle, probably the most uncomfortable outfit you could imagine. And he's feeding on nothing but honey and locusts, which is actually impossible to live on. Uh, But he's preaching and baptizing. Um, It's a striking image. John the Baptist has always been kind of this striking character in the history of the church. But he purposely and very intentionally presents himself this way. Because he's showing that there's something new here. There's a sense of urgency that there hasn't been before. All the prophets through the whole history of Israel yearned for the Messiah. Everyone yearned for the Messiah. You see it in every single prophetic text. Uh, But it's different than the way that John speaks of the Messiah. Ronald Knox, a great preacher, uh, describes it very beautifully. He says it's, in the prophets it's as though they're looking out into pitch darkness and there's a light off in the distance. I don't know if you've had this experience before where it's pitch black, and there's a light. And you don't know whether that light is, you know, a few hundred yards from you or whether it's miles away because you don't have that perspective to see. You hope that perhaps, especially if you're wandering around in the dark, that the light is close, uh, but perhaps you'll be wandering for days to get there. So that's how the prophets yearned for the Messiah. Uh, they spoke of his coming but, but not with the sense of urgency of John because they just didn't know the time. But John says, One mightier than I is coming after me. I baptize you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus came. The same God who created the heavens and the earth came as an infant. The same one who gave us in Israel this sense of holy fear. that The God that, that provokes in us awe came as a tiny infant. And 30 years later, he's alongside John. He's baptized in the Jordan by John. And he preaches that the kingdom of God is at hand. That the kingdom of God is here in his person. Then he dies for us on the cross, he rises from the dead, and he ascends into heaven. We say all these things every week in the creed. But now again, we sit here and wait. For 2,000 more years, we wait for Christ to come again. And I think something's happened in those 2,000 years. I think we've lost this sense of urgency that John tells us about. That we ask ourselves, do we have the same yearning for the second coming that the prophets had for the first coming of Christ? Do we actually want Jesus to come? Or are we getting pretty comfortable? I think one of the critiques I hear of of Christianity so often from my non-Christian friends is that we're so caught up in thinking about the afterlife and thinking about heaven and all those things 
that we, that we fail to address the problems that we have here on earth. You know, we kind of exempt ourselves from the grittiness of the human reality because we want heaven. And I think that that complaint is right on one account. I think that we aren't living up to our call to address the grittiness of the human reality, that we aren't living up to our call to serve the poor uh, as Christians, not to the extent that we, that we ought to. But I don't think it's because we're caught up in the heavenly things. I think it's because we're not caught up in heavenly things. It's the opposite. We don't think about the second coming of Christ enough. We don't contemplate heaven enough. And therefore, we, aren't, we don't have this sense of urgency. If we really were contemplating heaven, that call that we have to be in heaven with God, then we would operate with the urgency of John the Baptist. And we would lay aside everything that doesn't serve the mission. But we don't. Because, uh, well, I think for the most part we're kind of glad that Jesus is a little bit delayed. Um, it's kind of scary to think about the second coming. Uh, and I think we like the world. We don't really want to see it dissolved in fire like Peter describes in the second reading. Um, and we kind of like our sins. I think we, I, we just kind of like our sins. They give us a satisfaction here and now, which, you know, however empty and fleeting it is, uh, it's, it's, we obviously like it better than you know, the contemplation of heaven, which is kind of this far-off and vague thing. When we think about heaven, what do we think about? Uh, usually our imagination of heaven is pretty lame. But we need to stop spending our energy, expending all of our energy on these fleeting things of the world. Uh, I feel like, for me, every shiny little thing catches my eye. Uh, I feel like a squirrel. You know, sometimes I'm, I'm like pushed in a million different directions and, and I'm, I, I just lose my center. Every new car, new phone, new pair of shoes, that better job that you yearn for, uh, whatever it is that's, that's taking all of your time and energy. This Advent, we must stop and strain our eyes off in the distance, um, look out into that darkness and actually yearn for the coming of Christ. When is that light going to come? When will we arrive? Ask yourself, do I really want Jesus to come? Are you filling in the valleys of your soul? Tearing down the mountains that divide you from God? Are we making a highway for God to come into our soul? Because if we're not, then we really are living a meaningless life. If everything in our life isn't ordered to the end of heaven, to our existence if our whole existence isn't ordered to heaven with God, then we are living a meaningless life and we will never be happy. Our souls are restless until they rest in God. So our God comes with power. He's not a vague idea. He is a person and he has loved us into existence. We would not be here. Each one of us individually would not be here if God didn't love us into existence in this very moment. Now I has not seen nor ear heard nor has it entered our hearts what God has planned for those who love him. So this Advent, we must cultivate a yearning for the coming of Christ. We really want Jesus to come. It is a good thing. And so, like the prophets, we prepare the way of the Lord. Amen.